Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there. So this is Stuff You Should Know, military edition. Actually, more bureaucracy edition than anything else. Yeah, and I found this, uh, for a bureaucratic episode, I found it way more interesting than I thought I would. Those usually turn out to be more interesting than you'd think, you know? Yeah. I can't think of one that we've done bureaucracy in the bureaucracy suite that wasn't like, uh, this is surprisingly interesting. Yeah, this is this is pretty good. Yep, agreed. Because I registered for the selective service, as did you, I assume. Oh, yeah. Unless you're, you've been dodging all these years. <laughs> right. I finally made it. Uh, but I never really gave it much thought because dudes like you and I in today's modern era don't really, you know, when I registered, I was like, yeah, whatever, this will probably mean nothing. But uh, it's really interesting when you dig into it mm-hmm. and what it could have meant or could mean. When I registered, I was like, wait, what? Is, what am I, what's going on here again? <laughs> and my dad was like, just, just do it. It's fine. You'll get in trouble if you don't. I was like, oh, I don't want to get in trouble. Was your dad in the military? Yeah, he was Air Force. During Vietnam? Right before Vietnam. Because my dad did not go to Vietnam, and I think I always felt weird about it. He would never talk to me about that, but that's the sense that I got. Did you grow up in Canada for, like, the first part of your <laughs> life or anything? No, but he was, and as you'll find out throughout the course of this episode uh, about mm-hmm. the various deferments and exceptions and things, mm-hmm. he was a uh, lone breadwinner for a family of one, then two, mm-hmm. then eventually three, mm-hmm. in college studying to be a teacher. So he had a lot of... He checked a lot of boxes that will get you out of the war. Right. Well, they probably talked him out of it. They're like, buddy, your life's hard enough as it is. Yeah, maybe. That that would be a hardship deferment, right? Well, I guess it, it depends because teachers uh, were uh, something, as we'll learn later in the show, were very, very much uh, valued. Oh, yeah. And if you were in college and if you were the oh, yeah. breadwinner of a family. So he had a, he had a few things going in his favor, I guess, if you're looking to not go to war. Yeah, all he had to be was a uh, non-U.S. citizen living in the United States yeah. from a country with a treaty with the U.S. who is also morally opposed to the war and with a criminal record. That'd be about it. <laughs> he might have been a little too old, actually, too, now that I think about it. Uh, I mean, he could have been uh, if he was in grad. Was it grad school? I think he was in grad school. Yeah, he might have been. Yeah. Because I think it was back then, we're talking Nam. I think it was 18 to 25 is what it was. Yeah. So, yeah, he could have been beyond that. Yeah, then all those boxes were checked. I think he probably was. So, uh, in case you guys didn't pick up on this yet, we're talking about the draft. That's what it's called in America. But America is far from the only country that's ever had a draft. It's actually a pretty old concept, um, dating back as far, I think I've seen as far back as like the second century BC, China. Yeah. Um, I think the Qing Dynasty or Jing. How do you pronounce it with the Q? I think I would have looked that up. I think it's, how do you spell it? Jing, Q-I-N-G? Q-I-N-G. Right, the the Jing. I think it's Jing. Okay. I think so. (laughs) Anyway, one of the dynasties toward the second century B.C. China had conscription, and it's, it's, I think, just about every civilization um, with a military said, oh, that's a pretty good idea, let's try that. So basically everybody's tried it from time to time. And the U.S. has had drafts multiple times. 
the Civil War, both the North and the South had drafts. Um, in the, uh, I think the War of 1812, there was even one. Um, the First World War, there was a draft. The Second World War, there was a draft. And then most recently, the draft was in uh, Vietnam from 1961 to 1973, I think, right? Yeah, and we'll get to the, uh, did you read that New York Times article? No. That I sent? Oh, boy, that was a good one. Well, we'll get to the ins and outs a little bit at the end with that article. But um, prior to Vietnam, the draft had generally been a sort of roundly accepted kind of uh, good thing (laughs) to most people. So it really wasn't until Vietnam where we found ourselves with a, a lot of different social forces meeting up with the war that a lot of people didn't believe in mm-hmm. is where we had a sort of our first big backlash against uh, the idea of a draft. That was where I, that, I mean, that's it, the war just being utterly unpopular almost across the board is, is where I saw was the big reason why um, the, the resistance to the draft first began because of Vietnam. Up to that point, wars were generally popular among the majority of Americans. Yeah, and we also uh, need to shout out one Genghis Khan. Or Chinggis. Or Chinggis Khan. Uh-huh. Kane. <laughs> because I think we mentioned in that episode that he, he used to draft, right? Kind of. I think that was more like a join me or die kind of thing, which I guess <laughs> I guess that qualifies as conscription. Well, yeah. in America, it's join me or go to jail. So yeah, it's close. Yeah, it's it's close. So yeah, you're right. Um, he definitely had that, and he's actually the tie that binds this uh, episode and the next one too, uh, the one on the Pony Express, because he had a fast mail service on horseback. Remember? Yeah, and it's probably not fair to say that he had a draft because. You're right. It was more just like, come aboard or I'll have your head. Right. Uh, but I did want to mention that he there was another movie that we missed. There was a movie not too long ago called Mongol. Oh, yeah. Supposedly it was like a, a good one with a legitimately good actor in there. Yeah, it was a, a weird – they covered it on the Friendly Fire movie podcast that I listened to, and it's um, uh, supposedly pretty good. I want to check it out. It was like a weird – like a Russian – slash Kazakhstani production mm-hmm. that did feature Asian actors only. Produced uh, by Borat? I don't know, but it was supposed to be pretty good. I'll check it out. Yeah, I want to see it too. Is it on Netflix or Prime? I don't know about that. Oh, by the way, Chuck, I feel so remiss. Happy Prime Day. Is it Prime Day? <laughs> oh, of course it's Prime Day. How could you not know? <sighs> I already bought all my stuff. <laughs> that was some buzz marketing of all time. Yeah. So let's talk about this draft. Okay? Sure. And we'll, I think we'll hold, like, the pros and cons debate for later off. Let's just talk about what the draft is in America. How about that? Because I think it bears a pretty strong resemblance to drafts in other countries. Yeah. So in the United States, in our military now, this, this article is a little outdated, but um, I believe for this year our budget is about 1.31 million active duty personnel and about 815,000 reservists. Uh, and this is what it, our volunteer military force looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in certain times, uh, we have a draft. They also call it conscription. And that's when we feel like – and, you know, there's debate on whether or not this will ever happen again. But that's when uh, the president and Congress feels like we need to call up people involuntarily because we need more bodies. 
Yeah, the the standing volunteer force that we have right now is considered more than enough for, or at least enough for the current peacetime. Um, quote I guess unquote if, peacetime. Yeah, <laughs> if you take uh, if you take the the endless wars that aren't technically wars because Congress never declared war out of the equation, then we're in peacetime, right? And so these these guys, especially with our advancing, and I use guys in the gender neutral sense. Um, especially with the advancing technology that's being used in the military now, yeah. um, that's actually a pretty healthy amount of, of active duty people. But yes, if there were something that happened, say another world war or something, there's, pr- there's a pretty good chance that a draft is going to get started pretty quickly. And um, for that to happen, the government would say, okay, selective service system, do your thing. And the selective service system would kick into action. And that this is what I did not know, Chuck. Jimmy Carter is the one who activated the selective service system. Did you know that? Oh, no way. When the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, because the last draft was in 1973, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just done. And then in 1980, when the Afghani or when the um, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, Carter was really on edge about that. And in 1981, he just basically activated the selective service system. And that's what you were talking about earlier, where where you're 18 or the first time you're eligible between the ages of 18 and 25, you go to your post office, you go to your government website, you go. There's several places you can go. And you basically fill out a card saying, I am an 18-year-old American citizen or a resident alien or any number of things, um, and it's specifically a man. And here's my info. Give me a call if you guys ever run into any trouble. Yeah, and so uh, the SSS, the Selective Service System, is who is in charge of basically operating and, and plugging in the draft and overseeing it if it ever gets reinstated. Right, right. So you, they have really ultimately, this, this article does a good job of pointing this out, the selective service system is basically just a, a system of names and addresses kept on file of all um, American men eligible to be drafted. So basically between the age of 18 and 25. Yeah, so you mentioned women. Um about five or six years ago, there was the repeal of the ground combat exclusion, mm-hmm. and they've con- since then have been working on basically opening up, uh, I don't know about all jobs, but I think most or maybe all jobs to uh, women as well as men in the military. But you still, despite that, they have not made the change where women have to register with SSS. Yeah, it came like pretty close in committee, I think, last year. And yeah. it, it didn't make it out of committee, but um, it showed like a lot of resolve to that's probably going to change in the next couple of years, I would guess, especially now that women are in combat roles in the military. There's that was traditionally the excuse for why they were not eligible for selective service. Um, but now that they're doing combat roles uh, in the volunteer army or the volunteer military, then it just makes sense that they would be eligible for the draft, too. Yeah, and right now I'm looking at the chart. Uh, this printout here, let's see, has got one, two, three, uh, four, five, six, seven, eight categories where you do not need to. Uh, I was about to say turn yourself in. <laughs> it's a Freudian slip. Yeah, uh, where you don't have to register. So if you're a member of the armed forces on active duty, obviously you don't need to. 
If you are a cadet and midshipman at service academies or the Coast Guard Academy, you do not need to. Mm-hmm. If you are a student uh, in the officer procurement program at the Citadel, North Georgia College, and State University, Norwich, Virginia, uh, VMI, Texas A&M, Virginia Polytech, <laughs> and State University, you don't have to. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see here. Uh, it's under immigrants, lawful non-immigrants <clears throat> on current non-immigrant visas. Uh, if you are a seasonal agricultural worker on an H-2A visa, you don't have to. Right. Uh, if you're incarcerated or hospitalized or institutionalized, you do not need to. Mm-hmm. Uh, under handicapped physically or mentally, uh, you don't need to if you're continually confined to a residence, hospital, or institution. But you do have to if you're able to function in public with or without assistance. Mm-hmm. And then the newest, uh, the latest and greatest Transgender people uh, category, Mm -hmm. if you are an individual who are born female and have changed to male, you do not have to. But if you're born male and change your gender to female, you do have to. Uh, So that pretty much flies in the face of trans. Yeah, wow, okay. Uh, I'm not surprised by that, but that seems a little putsy. It dims the rules right now. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so one of the things that stuck out to me, Chuck, was that um, if you are a, a, a citizen of another country living in the United States, mm-hmm. you have to register if you're a male. Um, you yeah. have to register for this, um, for selective service. But if your country has a treaty with the U.S. that says, eh, if you guys ever do the draft or whatever, we don't want our people sucked into that. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. will honor that. You still have to go um, register, but then when they draft you, you can you get an exemption. But if you do get that exemption, you can never be a citizen of the United States. And if you ever leave the country, you might have trouble getting back in. Is how the Selective Service puts it. Yeah, which I would say that means you will definitely have trouble getting back in. Probably so. You know, uh, and you said eighteen to twenty-five is the age where you have to register. Uh, within 30 days of reaching eligibility, so uh, in the case of your 18th birthday, within 30 days of that, or let's say you're in like one of the exclusions, like you're in military school, but you drop out, mm-hmm. but you're still 18 to 25, then it's within, within 30 days of that dropout date. Right. And then, yeah, whether it's 18, 30 days of your 18th birthday or 30 days of the first time you become eligible up to your 26th birthday. Correct. And then if you just say, eh, I don't feel like going today, and you keep putting it off for, <laughs> yeah. you know, seven seven years, um, when you get to be 26, along the way, you can do it late, and they'll say, hey, thanks for coming in. We're going to forgive this. Sure. If you wait until after you're 26 and you never get around to doing it, uh, like as it stands on the books, you can be prosecuted for up to five years in prison and a quarter of a million dollar fine. Yeah. You can also get that same penalty if you encourage someone not to sign up for selective service. Oh, really? But apparently they are not very big on prosecuting that kind of stuff. And instead, what they tend to do is they withhold um, federal job opportunities, some state job opportunities, federal student aid for college, uh, federal work training program. If you're a uh, defense contractor or any kind of contractor, you need a security clearance, you can kiss that goodbye. So there's stuff they can do short of fining you $250,000 and putting you in jail for five years. Um, but there are penalties for just not ever filling out this little card. Yeah, and I read, uh, and especially in that Times article, that 
even during like the Vietnam War, like famous cases aside, like let's say, you know, Muhammad Ali, uh, which makes a lot of news, like they they didn't really want people that didn't, like you didn't have to be all gung-ho, but they didn't want people that were just miserable about the whole thing. Well, yeah, I saw that that was one of the, one of, well, we'll talk about it later. But. Like that, you know, they, there's like, that, that wouldn't make a good soldier. It wouldn't serve anyone. No. So generally, they wanted people who are at least like, all right, well, I'll do this all the way up to like, sign me up. I want to kill. All right. Should we take a break? Yeah, let's. Man. <laughs> I think that's our cue when I say I want to kill. <laughs> all right. We'll be right back after this. Okay, so let's say that um, that there. I saw that the head of Selective Service said uh, basically it would take a Martian invasion to activate the draft again. Mm. I think is how she put it. Well, that's good. So um, if that happened, if we were invaded by Martians and the draft did start, one of the things that Carter um, set up in in 1981 by activating the the Selective Service was to. Um, it's basically this government bureaucracy that's just waiting to spring into action. And it's kind of like kept on ice. There's 100 people working at this agency. They've got about $23 million a year in funding. Mm -hmm. And um, they just keep it at, at a ready state, but it's not actually doing what it's designed to do. It's just taking in information, names, addresses, all that stuff. Yeah. And then... Um, but if it were ever activated, it, it would kind of like, it'd be like one of those little dinosaur sponges. I mean, you put water on it and it grows into a big dinosaur sponge. That's basically what would happen with the SSS. Yeah, so they would, uh, like our article points out, they would kick into what you would call draft mode. And they would conduct a national draft lottery. And, you know, back in the Vietnam era, this was a, this was a dicey proposition to watch on television uh, what looks like a a, a money lottery, mm -hmm. you know, picking numbers, mm -hmm. and this is how it how it goes. It's uh, developed by the National Institute of Standards and Technology, and I assume this is how it would still go today, right? Yeah, this is the current incarnation of the SSS. All right, so a computer's going to print out all the dates in the current year in random order, put those dates in little little capsules. It's so interesting how they do this. I, they really look like more like ping pong balls to me. I know. That's what I'm saying it looks like you could be a winner. Right. Except you're not. But who calls it a capsule? I don't know. Whoever Weirdos. wrote this. Yeah, Tom Harris. <laughs> oh, Tom's a, he's old school. Yeah, I guess he's a weirdo too. He, he might, maybe he's never played ping pong. <laughs> uh, then the computer prints out uh, one through 365 for each day of the year mm -hmm. in random order, puts those in ping pong balls. Uh, the capsules containing dates are loaded into one drum. Uh, the others are loaded into another mm -hmm. drum. They spin that thing. They spin the big wheel. I think it, it's puffed by air. Oh, is it? I think so. No, I was just trying to make it a little more fun. Like I said, 23 million in funding a year. Right. They can afford the air puff. Mm -hmm. They're being inspected and observed this whole time to make sure everything's going as planned. And then what happens on TV? 
Uh, okay, so the uh, official who's running the thing, and again, yeah, they have like they have TV there to make sure that this is documented and above the boards and all that stuff. And when the official pulls out the ball or the capsule, I'm sorry, <laughs> from one uh, machine and then a capsule from another machine, and they read them out loud. So, for example, if uh, the 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 number from the one machine with all the dates of the year in it says April twenty second. And the other, the other machine has um, 365 or 66 if it's a leap year, and that says number 42. Then that means that every male who is eligible for the draft that turns 20 on April 22nd of that year will be in the 42nd group to receive their draft notices. Yeah, they start, I guess, the ideal age that they feel is fair is 20 years old. Right. So that's where they start with the draft. Because, again, remember, it's between 18 and 25, you're eligible. But, they, yeah, they start with the 20-year-olds. And then they do this so over and over again for all 365 or 66 days of the year. They pair a date of that year with a number, and that's the, the people whose 20th birthday falls on that year are the ones who get that number. Or they're in that number group. So if January 15th, was number one, then anybody born on January 15th would be the first to get the draft notices. And when they're doing this, they're, they're, they're probably calling up enough people that multiple groups, say groups one through 150, are all going to get draft notices right out of the gate. Yeah. But then as they, like Congress and the president ask for a specific number of troops, mm-hmm. and then once they reach that number, the draft notices stop getting sent out. And then if they say, well, we need more people, they'll start going back to the um, the sequence of call is what it's called. Uh, and then they go to the next group and the next group and the next group until they keep fulfilling these numbers. And then when they run out of 20-year-olds, then they go to other age groups. Yeah, they move up from that point to 21. And, you know, let's just say they keep needing people. It would go 21 through 25. Mm-hmm. Then if they run out of 25-year-olds, A, mm-hmm. that means we're in big trouble. Yeah. As a country. <laughs> the Martians are winning. Uh, then they hop back to age 19. And then if the most dire circumstance is uh, comes around, then they hop back finally to 18-year-olds. Yes. So that that's all of our 18, of call, like you 18 said. to 25-year-olds. Yeah. Have just been gone through in the military, basically, is what just happened if they go get down to the 18-year-olds. Yeah. So then if your name is called uh, – they are uh, – you are sent to a – or you report, I guess, to a regional military entrance processing station. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they call it something different, like they have some cute short name for it. Uh, Remeps. <laughs> I don't I'll think bet. this one is a uh, – Remeps. I'll bet it's Remeps. You think? Mm-hmm. Maybe. You know, my brother-in-law's in the Marines, and it's astounding how many uh, – what are those called? Not contractions, but acronyms. Acronyms. Oh yeah. For everything, it's unbelievable. They hate saying whole words in the military. <laughs> well, it's like another language. And then when he's talking to me, he'll say the acronym and then the real thing. Mm-hmm. But he just, you know, he can't help but say the acronym. Well, sure. You know. Do you ever point out like how much time he just wasted saying both? <laughs> yeah, I do that all the time. <laughs> he loves it, sir. Uh, so then they report to this uh, rim eps. Or RIMEP. No, it'd be RIMEPS. Yeah. And they, this is where, you know, you undergo your physical, your your psych evaluation. 
your mental and moral evaluation. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the doctor says, you know, uh, you can either keep going forward or, hey, you know, you're wealthy and you have bone spurs, so maybe we'll we'll hold you out. (laughs) (laughs) You really wanted a bigger response from that one, huh? I don't know. I don't know what I want anymore. Uh, But if you are fit for service, then you have 10 days from that point, if you want, to file an exemption, a claim for exemption or postponement or deferment. Right. Uh, And then from that point forward, if you want a special classification, then you you go through that whole process. Yeah. So one of the other things that the selective service system does is – so it's bringing in – it, it's bringing in all the people who are eligible for the for the draft yeah. and making sure they get evaluated to see if they're fit for service. And then it's also handling and administering the exemption and postponement and deferment process, too. It's like two separate streams. It's one stream, and then it breaks into two streams. One stream goes into the military. The other one gets sorted out, right? Yes. So if you are, um, if you're, say, like a high school student or something like that, um, and you file that that 10-day claim for exemption or whatever, Mm -hmm. you'll just send in a piece of paper, maybe something from your high school that says, uh, no, Josh is still in high school. So he's he shouldn't be going into the draft, and they will say, "Here's your exemption, kid." Josh Actually, twenty, he's in high school. Don't ask. That would be <laughs> right. Don't ask. Don't tell. Um, and that would be a postponement. I think is what that would be because they're saying, "Great, finish high school. We'll see you right after." Yeah, I mean, if you're ready right then and you're fit for service, you're classified as one A. Right. Something you heard a lot about in the Vietnam era. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you get picked and you were one A, you're you were getting shipped out pretty quickly. Right, exactly. Like you would go home, they would send you your letter, and and probably in the letter they would tell you where to report. Yeah, uh, so high school's covered. If you're a college student, you can postpone for the remainder of that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if you're a freshman, uh, that's if you're a senior. If you're a freshman, sophomore, or junior, you can postpone till the end of the semester. Yep, there's an exemption for uh, religious ministers and people studying to become ministers. Yeah, who in, knew? In recognized religions. I thought they needed the Father Mulcahy's. Yeah, I think that's uh, like I. Do, I think you you ask for a deferment if they find that you're one A, mm-hmm. even if you're any of these. I think they will just take you regardless. Sure, but if you say actually I'm a religious minister, I don't feel comfortable about this. You can get a deferment like that. But yeah. if you're Father Mulcahy and you're like I'm a religious minister, kill, 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 <laughs> they'll say come on in. Or counsel the men who kill, kill, kill. Sure, Father Mulcahy. He was a good. Uh, he was a good um, character, wasn't he? He's a good dude. One of my favorites on Mash, actually. Weirdly. Oh yeah. Yeah, because he was like just such a side character, but yeah, I liked him. Now that I think about it out loud. Yeah, me too. I watched Barney Miller last night for the first time in forever. Whoa. If you if you want to see a TV show like a bona fide TV show where there's a script and actors, and they've all rehearsed, mm-hmm. and there's like a plot, and there's jokes and all that stuff, and uh-huh. a laugh track, and yep. a laugh track too. Watch Barney Miller, and you will be, it, it's wonderful. Yeah, which is to say it was like every other show on TV at the time. At the time. Yeah. Try to find one of those now. You can't do it. Well, I mean, they're on, but you probably just don't watch sitcoms anymore. I guess they are on, aren't they? I'm told. Yeah. Well, anyway, Barney Miller holds up, and maybe it's even better than ever. Yeah, that was a great show. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, who were the who were the side guys? 
Ho- well, Ho- there's fish. Abe Vigoda was yeah, fish. fish. Hojon? Wojo. Wojo. Hojon. <laughs> I don't know where I came up with that. Uh, you're thinking of Lil John. Yeah, and then who was, uh, who was the other guy? There was um, Chano. Yeah. Uh, there was, um, oh, I can't remember the Asian guy's name. They, they, that was Wojon, they, right? No, no, no. Wojo was the... Um, Wojo. <laughs> He was like the young kind of like bachelor dude with the terrible haircut. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he. Oh, was, he was he was probably like Wojciechowski or something. Yeah, that's exactly what his name was. I okay, think. yeah. Um, and then uh, there was the the Asian man. I can't remember what his name was, but they would. He was such a great character. They would reference him when he wasn't even in the episode. They would talk about him. That's oh, how wow. great. That's a good character. And then Ron Glass. I can't remember Ron Glass. what what the the name of the detective Ron Glass played was, but great television show still. And maybe <laughs> the best television theme song of all time too. Oh yeah, I love that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, didn't it have a slap bass in it? Oh yeah. Do you want to do it? Ron Harris. Ron Glass played Ron Harris. Okay. And uh Yamana, Nick Yamana was the character's name. Oh, okay. And who played Nick Yamana? Jack Sue. Okay. Cool. Man, great. How Linden, man. What what a classic. Yeah. Where where were you watching that? Where? Yeah. Oh, you mean what station? There's something called Antenna TV. It's like oh, okay. all awesome reruns. There's something else called Cozy, C O Z I T V. They basically do the same thing. And like you'll find them in the non H D channels a little further down the dial, but they're good. And right. now they each owe me a $20 Target gift card. That's a hot tip. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so back to the draft. Oh, yeah. Um, we covered, uh, we got off track with Father Mulcahy. Mm-hmm. So if you are a, uh, have dependents, um, like I was saying, like uh, my father with a family of two or three, mm-hmm. um, if you are a government official, like if you're a judge, uh, which would be unusual that young, but any kind of elected official, a governor, you be a young person, mayor, state legislator. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of. Uh, I'll bet that rankles a lot of people because those are the very people who are sending yeah. the, the military into war. You know. Yeah, I guess the idea of a 24 year old a mayor who gets a <laughs> deferment wouldn't go over super well in times of war. Yeah, I guess not. Uh, and then finally, and this is we'll get into this pretty in depth, <clears throat> but conscientious objectors, uh, which is. A whole ball of wax right there, but that is when you hold religious or moral beliefs, uh, then you can, well, I guess we should go ahead and get into it, huh? Well, do you want to take a break and then get into it, or do you want to get into it and then take a break? It's your choice, buddy. (laughs) Let's get into it, then take a break. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So, uh, do you remember our pacifism episode? I do. That was a great one, and I know for a fact that we talked about conscientious objectors in that as well. Yeah. But if you if you are drafted, and here's the thing, again, you still have to register for selective service. If they ever in, initiate the draft, you will still get a draft notice, and then you'll report to the regional center, the um, REMAPS, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, or REMAPS. And you, you will say to them, I am morally opposed to war. And mm-hmm. they'll say, this war? which is a trick question. Yeah. And you say, no, all war. And they'll go, oh, okay, well, that's a bird of a different feather. Let's get this thing started. So you have 10 days to file this this um, claim for exemption, and then that's going to kick off 
this um, basically a, a, an interview process by the local board. These local boards are another thing that gets activated um, by the uh, the SSS being um, activated itself. There's five civilians who sit on a local board, and each local board serves X number of like kids in an area. Yeah, these right? are volunteers. Mm-hmm. It should be pointed out. And they're there to hear special cases to decide whether or not you get that exemption for things like a hardship, um, like if you're a a father, uh, sole breadwinner kind of thing, or if you're a conscientious objector. And with a conscientious objector specifically, they're going to ask you, um, well, which kind are you? Are you opposed to like carrying a gun and like shooting at people on the front lines? Are you uh, opposed to combat? Or are you opposed to, like, being in the military at all? And there's yeah. actually two classifications for that. Two yeah, and th- at this point, they have called you down. Like, certain things like high school or maybe if you have a family of six, like, they can just go ahead and rubber stamp you. Mm-hmm. But you're going to get called down there in person, and you'll want to as, as an objector. And the two classifications that you mentioned is 1AO, uh, with if you're morally oppor- opposed to serving in combat, mm-hmm. or 1O. One dash O, mm-hmm. and this is if you are saying I don't want to be in the military. I don't want to be a chef. I don't want to be a cook. I don't want to be a priest or deliver mail or write for the newspaper. Uh, I don't want to write for the Stars and Stripes. You know what it was called? Mm-hmm. Is that still around? Probably. I know Voice of America is. Is that the current uh, main rag? It may be different. Well, they're like they're everywhere. They're like big time media outlet for the military. Good one, Each too. branch has their own rag, too. Well, the Stars and Stripes, that's what Matthew Modine was a writer oh, yeah. for in um, Full, Full Metal, Metal Jacket. Jacket. Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Uh, photographer, though, right? No, he walked around with the photographer. Oh, okay. He was the reporter. Gotcha. Uh, all right, so in the draft, if you if you are classified as 1AO, which is morally opposed to combat only, mm-hmm. then they will probably try to still assign you to to some sort of service. Oh, yeah. Like we were talking about, like in the mailroom or whatever. Well, there's plenty of stuff you can do plenty. besides being on the front line in the military. It's plenty, plenty, plenty. Huge, huge machine that has a lot of different parts to it. So, yeah, they will definitely find a spot for you. If you're morally opposed to serving the military, if you're saying, like, I'm totally opposed to war, I don't agree with what you're doing, I don't agree with any, any war whatsoever, so I don't want to help out in any way, shape, or form, they'll say, okay, You still have to serve. You're still going to have a tour of duty, just like anybody who is 1A and goes into the military to serve in the draft. Mm -hmm. You're going to have a tour of duty too, but instead they will assign you to um, basically what's called the alternative service program where you contribute to the country for like X number of years, like as a uh, in healthcare or um, in conservation is another big one too, where they basically just put you to work to, to keep the country Make it better. Yeah, and you're like you said before, it has to be opposed to all war, and it can't be because of political beliefs. Right. So it has to be based on moral or ethical or religious beliefs. You can't just say, hey, man, if that was a 9-11, I'd be down, but I don't like this jerk who's in office, and I don't agree with their politics, so I'm not into this war. They'll say, sorry, that doesn't really count. Which, I mean, I yeah, I guess that, that makes sense. Yeah, well, I mean, at any rate, you have to appear, explain all this stuff. You might want to bring in some friends. You might Mm -hmm. want them to ask or to uh, maybe write something for you ahead of time. Mm -hmm. You will probably want to demonstrate 
through historical evidence that you have always felt this way. Like, look, here's me at a peace rally nine years ago. And uh, eight years ago and seven years ago. And yeah. six. You want to really build up your case that, like, this is something I've lived with my whole life. Right. If you, or if you like, I'm a Quaker, and see, here's my yeah. here are my Quaker friends telling you that I'm a Quaker, and, and here are my yeah, here's my funny hat, right. and my belt buckle shoes. Did you just start eating handfuls of dry oats <laughs> during the interview to prove <laughs> to prove you're a Quaker? You might get a different reclassification. If that's the case. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, so you're doing all this stuff to build your case. Um, if if they deny you, you can appeal the decision. Um, so it's not like the final word, but you. I don't know how many appeals you get. My guess would be one. Yeah, and I'm not even sure if you necessarily get one, but um, ideally this board of citizens are going to say this guy actually is morally opposed to war and then not say, but I'm not, and I don't think he should be, so he's going to go anyway. Right. They're supposed to just say, is this person morally opposed to war? Do you buy that? Yes, okay, then they should get this deferment. Um, but this is this is set up so that, that if you... There's a they say there's a place for you to serve your country even if you don't um, don't believe in in war or even helping a war effort. Gotcha. You uh, want to take that break now? Let's do it. Okay. All right, Chuck. So I think there's a this is a really really controversial topic, the idea of a draft. And I think it would be far more controversial if it looked like it might be coming down the pike at any given point. Yeah. But there's a lot of reasons that that people point to that they say this is what we have now is totally awesome. Um for one, what we have now again and we have had since 1973, is an all-volunteer force, which means that every single person who is in the military, in any branch of the military in the United States, is there on their own volition. No one's forcing them to. Even if a judge said, either join the Army or go to jail, they still had a choice. So, so that makes it a, a what's called a professional volunteer army, where they get paid, um, they, they submit themselves to serious training, and they are about as good a soldier uh, as you will expect to find in the world. That's the current state of our military. And they say, this is plenty. We're doing fine with this. We don't need any kind of draft. So why would you even bring that up? Yeah. And there's a lot of people who say, well, well there's some real pros to, to having a conscription. Yeah, I mean, that article you sent, some of the pros were as follows, promoting national unity, and all of these are subject to uh, opinion, I think. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a debate. It's a controversial topic. Yeah. Um, it maintains an active military force. Obviously, that's kind of inarguable. Mm -hmm. uh, it ensures high levels of participation in government. This, you know, makes a little bit of sense. You'll probably pay a lot more attention to what's going on if faced with the threat or uh, I don't know if threat's the right word, but if faced with the prospects of a draft – that to me is probably the best the best argument for a draft. It's saying like if you if you are 
possibly going to get drafted and go to war just by being born as a citizen of this country. You're expected to to be part of the military at some point in your life. You're going to pay a lot more attention to what the, the U.S. is doing around the world with its military, and you're probably going to stand up and make your voice heard if you if you disagree with what the U.S. is doing with the military. Yeah. I mean, that definitely makes sense in some ways. But at the same time, so so that argument, what you just said is, it's a it's a it's for proponents of a conscription of a draft. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you can also make the opposite case too that people have said, well, when we had a draft before, we prosecuted at least one like by definition unjust war, the Vietnam War, and it was it was prosecuted by um, Johnson and Nixon, and they just kept sending wave after wave of of American soldiers into harm's way. And some historians and some political scientists say they might not have done that had they not known that there was a virtually unlimited pool of soldiers that they could just send into Southeast Asia over and over again. Yeah. Um, And that we wouldn't be prosecuting wars that way. Between, okay, I'm sorry. So the, the 27 years before 1973, we were engaged in 19 overseas military operations. Between 1973 and 2012, we had 144. And so a lot of people say, no, man, if you have a professional army, they're divorced from society. They're basically like, here, military, like, go go handle this. We, like, we don't like these people anymore. We want that oil. Go do this. Like, what do we pay you for? Go do it. And the people who are doing this, have never been in the military, haven't been exposed to military life, and are hence maybe a little more insouciant about sending the military in to other countries using a military option. So that is like two of the best reasons for or against conscription, but they totally contradict each other. And it's just fascinating to me that that you can have something that's just that ambivalent or ambiguous, I mean. Yeah. Two different words. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, Some of the cons, I mean, the cons are all pretty obvious. Uh, It violates someone's free will. Mm -hmm. Uh, It may keep you from going to college. Uh, It puts lives at risk for young people. This one compromises the quality of military service. That's one that, that's a big con to me, Mm -hmm. is you're getting sometimes people in there that aren't cut out for that. And right. couldn't couldn't find a way, and didn't have the wealthy father or the shady doctor to get you out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- I mean, that a is big a big one. one, especially if you if you're one of those people who points to the American military and says, "We've never had a better. Mil- this is the best version of the U.S. military in the history of the country." Yeah, but let's dilute it with millions of of conscripts who don't want to be there. Um, who we have to spend an inordinate amount of time training and sending out to the front lines basically as bodies, that's that's a terrible idea. It dilutes the professionalism of the military. Yeah, for sure. But that's another that's another one that's got it's got two all of these have two pretty clear sides to every point, you know? Yeah, I agree. And then I think the other the other thing I've seen too is so this is I mean, this is not like a huge hot debate right now in military and political science quarters. But it's it is currently debated. It's just the the people who are against conscription are are not 
worried about this at all. It's just not going to happen anytime soon, right? Yeah. There's just no reason for it to happen. But um, the people who are in favor of it are being accused of this being a backdoor way of changing America's interventionist um, military usage. That they're they're basically saying, you know, let's get a draft going, and then people will wake up and say, oh, we shouldn't be using the military like this. Um, and that that's their real um, aim, which... Uh, you know, I, I guess trying to change strategy by introducing conscripts, it's a, it's a way to go, I suppose. Yeah, it is interesting to just be like, to learn about something that you have no idea is being discussed or talked about. And then when you start looking in, it's like, oh, there's even stuff below the surface. Like they're talking about grand military strategy, really. Yeah. You know, not just whether people should serve their country or not, which is another pro that it, it creates a... um uh, a unified sentiment among uh, Americans or any country. There's plenty of countries out there who do this. I think yeah. North, North Korea, you're conscripted for 10 years as a man and I think six years as a woman. Man. Um, it, it, that there's this sense of like, I was in the military too. Where did you serve? Oh, I, I served here. Oh, really? Did you know this guy? And, you know, like there's that, that common ground and there's also that mixing of all different Americans to where you're meeting with them and, and living with them one-on-one and you're forming a bond, a kinship just through being in the military that if everyone has to go through that, it will create like this kind of sense of national unity that America's lacking right now. That was another pro that I saw. Yeah. Very interesting. I'm all out of pros and cons, Chuck. Uh, well, I read this New York Times article that was really interesting, talking about Vietnam and then the Cold War and how that complicated things. Mm-hmm. And um, since World War II, I think uh, the Selective Service was operated by uh, General Louis B. Hershey. And like I said earlier, it didn't face a lot of criticism until Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And that's when things got really hinky because, A, a lot of people were against the war, and, B, it became pretty clear even though the Department of Defense didn't keep records on socioeconomic status uh, beyond, like, are you white or are you Uh African-American, it was pretty clear that if you were white and middle class and up, you had a much more, uh, much higher chances of getting a deferment. So the Cold War complicated things further because it wasn't a war war, and it became really clear that we needed to, like, it it was all about the space race or the military race with the Soviets. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, Hershey said, he didn't say this out loud, but he said, you know what? I'm going to use this as, uh, they called it, uh, we could be the storekeeper of America's manpower supply. And basically, it's up to us how how to tell these young men what lives they're going to live. So not only... Like, let's forget the military for a second. They needed a big supply of men in STEM fields to develop weapons and science and everything to keep up with the Soviets. So all of a sudden, the deferments, they started channeling these middle-class, college-aged or college-educated white men into what they called manpower channeling into all of these other areas of study and research and, you know, design and manufacturing. Mm Mm-hmm. So it was just a really interesting time. So all of a sudden, uh, like during World War II, if you were a factory worker or an agricultural worker, you might get a deferment. Chances were pretty good that you might because you were really needed. After that, if you had a farm or you worked in a factory, you were out of luck because you weren't like uh, into physics or, you know, other STEM fields. 
or in the medical field. So by 1965, all these middle-class white men kind of expected deferments, huh. which is really interesting. And then you had Robert McNamara, uh, Secret- Secretary of Defense. He started using what they called uh, – he wanted to get basically black men out of what he called squalid ghettos uh, of their own external environment and into the internal and more destructive ghetto – of personal disillusionment and despair. So basically his idea was we have all these black men in this country that would do much better in life if we put them in the military. So they Wait, cha- wait, hold on. So this is just this one guy deciding this. Well, I mean, I'm sure it went through channels, but Robert McNamara, Secretary of Defense, was very powerful. Okay. Uh, oh, I thought this was Hershey. This is McNamara who took no, no, over this, at this point? Yeah, this is McNamara who okay. created what was called the New Standards Model. Okay. So these men, they were called New Standards Men, who were otherwise ineligible for for military service, all of a sudden were eligible. So he started basically 354,000 of these men between 66 and 77 mm-hmm. who were not previously eligible under the New Standards Program were and 40% of these men were black. And this is when the military was about 9% African-American. So he basically was saying, you know, a stint in the military as a new standard soldier is much better. It'll make you a better husband, better father, a better breadwinner, ultimately, and a better citizen. And you were basically an infantryman in Vietnam all of a sudden when you previously would not have even been in the war. Huh. So this ran for five years. And like I said, 354,000 men ended up uh, on the front lines of Vietnam and had a decent chance of dying. Yeah, I saw that I think like 25% of the troops in Vietnam were draftees, but draftees made up like 30.4% of the casualties in Vietnam, Um, which goes to kind of point out like, if you have somebody there who's not like, yes, I want to be a soldier, teach me how to be a soldier, but they're there against their will, there's a really good likelihood that after just six months of training, they're going to go out there and get killed, you know, which is a, a big mark against conscription in, in just about anybody's mind. Yeah. That's crazy, man. McNamara, he was, uh, yeah. Did you ever see Fog of War? Oh, yeah. When he like, do you buy that it it dawned on him? what he had done or what he was really responsible for, like, there on camera? Or was he just putting on a show? I don't know. You know what I'm talking about? Where he kind of, yeah. like, breaks down toward the end, and it seems like Errol, it was an Errol Morris flick, right? Yeah, very compelling. Like, it sort of lulls you in uh, to a, some great insider information. It's definitely worth watching. It's just basically like an interview with Robert McNamara, and in it, Errol Morris, like, basically leads him to the conclusion that he really was responsible for a lot of unnecessary death because of the the Vietnam War and how he prosecuted it as defense secretary. Yeah, and I kind of mangled that uh, op-ed in the Times, but it's called, uh, and you should read this out there in podcast land, it's called How the Draft Reshaped America by Amy J. Ruttenberg from October of last year. Uh, and she's she does a much better job than I just did. I'll check it out too. I'm I'm so ashamed that I didn't read something <laughs> in, in prep. <laughs> Don't be. Uh, you got anything else? I got nothing else. All right. Well, everybody, that was the draft. And if you want to know more about it, go type in draft in the search bar at howstuffworks.com. And since I said that, it's time for listener mail. 
Yeah, and we, you know, we didn't get into stuff like the fact that Elvis was drafted mm-hmm. and weird things like that happened back then. Well, yeah, and I mean, that was a demonstration for how, you know, everybody is supposedly eligible for the draft, even though that's not really how it's always worked out. Yeah, and I think we talked about that in pacifism, too. Yeah. Uh, all right, I'm going to call this uh, cute kid email from Scotland. Nice. Uh, and this is from Noah in Scotland. And oh, Noah, Noah's writing in again, remember? Did he write in before? Oh, yeah, Noah's written in plenty. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, hey, Noah. Well, Noah and his mom added a little... Uh, Postscript. Uh, Dear Josh and Chuck, I'm using my mama's email address again Uh uh, as she's helping me type. And she's helping me type, but in getting better, my next email will be typed just by me. Wow. Uh, I really liked your skyscrapers episode and wanted to tell you a cool fact. The Shanghai Tower uh, in China is 128 levels high. It's my favorite tower because I think (laughs) its engineering is the best. And, uh, uh, And it's the thing second highest one. And she said, she just typed exactly as he said. Uh-huh. Uh, it's damper is my favorite part. It's a new type called a tuned mass damper. Mm-hmm. This stops it from going too far to one side by using 125 super strong magnets. Uh, the thing my mama likes is that the big empty space they need for the damper means the sounds is good and there's a music hall in there. Uh-huh. Uh, I got mama to put on <laughs> a diagram of how it works from a magazine called Popular Mechanics. I'm six now. Wow. And on my summer holidays, when my cousins come around and are being too noisy, I go to my room and listen to your next episode or my new Raw Doll audiobooks. Nice. Uh, you're still funny, but sometimes I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, love from <laughs> Noah in Scotland. Uh, and then from uh, Mom Rachel, she said, Noah's mom here. I hope this makes sense. Tried to type it verbatim. When your six year old's knowledge of physics vastly outreaches your own, you know it's time to call in the big guns. Hmm. <laughs> Uh, have we read one from Noah before? Yes, I can't okay. remember what he wrote in about, but yeah, he he wrote in back when he was five, mm. maybe four, but definitely five. Yeah, he's written in, and um, mom typed it verbatim then too, and then kind of added a little appendage saying like, virtually the same thing, like hope this made sense. All right, well Noah, we will read one of your emails a year. Yeah, until we stop or until you stop listening. Noah's the new Sarah, the amazing 11-year-old fan. That's right. Who is, geez, 21 now? Yes, yeah, she should be coming back into the fold again soon. Yeah. We yeah. lose them in high school and then <laughs> get them back as, as grown-ups. That's the idea. Yeah. Well, a- anyway, Noah and your mom, thank you very much for writing in. And if you want to get in touch with me or Chuck or Jerry, you can go to stuffyoushouldknow.com and check out all of our social media links. And also... Uh, you can send us an email directly to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.